0: Let's stand together and open our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 36 this morning. This morning we'll be preaching on the life of Barak, the scribe and friend and devoted servant of the prophet Jeremiah. Let's we'll start reading verse 1. The Bible says, It came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of Of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah even unto this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I have purposed to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Now, remember this God has pronounced judgment against the nation of Judah. He's used his prophet Jeremiah to preach to this nation. Uh, they've been wayward, idolatrous, far from God. And uh, he says it may be that they still repent. And here's what I want you to do, Jeremiah. I want you to write down everything that I've told you. And in it, now we have the book of Jeremiah that we're reading this morning. Verse 4, then Jeremiah called Barak, the son of Neriah, And Barak wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah... Barak was a scribe, so although Jeremiah was receiving a direct word from God, it was Barak that was actually penning those words. So he wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. Jeremiah commanded Barak, saying, I am shut up. Now, remember at this time, uh, because of his preaching, Jeremiah had been shut up in prison, and he said, I cannot go into the house of the Lord Therefore, go thou and read in the roll which thou hast written from my mouth. Now, can you imagine how unpleasant this assignment was? Here was a nation that had ignored and rejected the word of the Lord. And uh, now Jeremiah is sitting in prison because he had tried to preach the word of the Lord. So Jeremiah is saying, the very words that got me thrown in jail, I want you to go and proclaim to the people, read. Uh, This is at least 35 or 40 chapters of the book of Jeremiah Read these words of condemnation to the people. Look what it says in verse 6. Therefore go thou and read in the roll which thou hast written from my mouth the words of the Lord in the ears of the people in the Lord's house upon the fasting day. And also thou shalt read them in the ears of all Judah that come out of their cities. It may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord and will return every one from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord hath pronounced against his people. And Barak the son of Neriah did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him. Reading in the book of the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. And it came to pass in the fifth year Jehoiakim the son of Josiah king of Judah. In the ninth month that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem. And all the people that came from the cities of Judah unto Jerusalem. Then read Barak in the book of the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan the scribe, in the higher court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house, in the ears of all the people. I'm going to preach on the life of Barak for just a few minutes this morning. Barak was not a primary figure in the scripture, but played a secondary role. And that's more or less what I want to talk about. The majority... Of Christians will never be called to pastor, never be called into evangelism, never be called as a missionary, and most will never stand behind a pulpit, most will never lead a congregation, most will never share the spotlight, but the majority will find themselves in a position of being a role player, usually out of the spotlight, and when we think of the book of Jeremiah we usually think of the prophet Jeremiah. Not Barak, but it was actually Barak that wrote most of the book and penned the words that we've read here in chapter 36. Barak is only mentioned in four of these chapters. But he spent 18 years with the prophet, turbulent years in the history of Judah, and then they witnessed together the destruction of Jerusalem and the captivity in Babylon, but he wasn't a great prophet Like Jeremiah, he wasn't a politician, he wasn't a priest. He was a simple scribe, a role player. Let me say this. We talk about teamwork, we talk about church and fulfilling the Great Commission and doing God's work. There's a lot of teamwork involved. And one of the greatest jobs a pastor has is getting the people to understand their role and the importance of their role because Satan will try to minimize that in our hearts and minds and say, you're really not important. What you're doing is really of no value. And that's one of the greatest ways that he uses to discourage his servants. And because there are some that are often in the spotlight, we might admire them more. Or when we talk about capital City, usually the pastor is given the credit. When in fact, the pastor does a very small portion of the work that's done around here. Can you imagine if one man had to carry this church and all the responsibilities and the weight of the ministries and the obligations Thank God for all of the role players and all the people that are involved. Last week was the Super Bowl. I know most of you are not interested in the Super Bowl, but if you watch team sports, uh, over the past few weeks, the, really the headline news was all about Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, for those of you that don't follow football, is a famous quarterback. And for years, he's been one of the best in the league. So everyone predicted that the Super Bowl would be about Peyton Manning, the star quarterback. And guess what? It wasn't. Turned out to be about all those other players on the team that work just as hard and sacrifice just as much. They're just not in the quarterback position, so they're not recognized for their sacrifice in the work that they do. And just as a good coach is grateful for the, those on his team that played different roles. So God, the captain of this team, is grateful for every servant and every person that is involved working and serving and doing something for the cause of Christ. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see as we study the life of Barak this morning. Really, two things, accepting the role or the responsibility that God has given us and then excelling at that role. Too often, here's what Satan does, he diverts our attention and gets us to focus on someone that's in a more important position, someone with greater responsibility, someone that has more talent. We focus on the singers or the pianists or the preachers. And forget about it, I'm thankful for all the role players in this church for people like Miss Sandy Coupe, who for 25 or 30 years... Has taught in the Christian school day after day, month after month, year after year. Has gotten up early, put her house in order, fed her children breakfast, driven into the school, and then taught all day long. Amen. Put up with your kids and my kids. And most of the kids that have gone through this church at some point have gone through one of her classes, survived, amen, and thrived and grown as a result of her sacrifice, but very few people. She is an invisible member at Capital City Baptist Church unless you've sat in her class. I thank God for those role players. Thank God for those that come in and help Brother Mike every Saturday night, go through this building from the front door to the back, and they mop, and they sweep, and they vacuum, they put the books in place. How many of you enjoy a clean church? That's because someone that's invisible, you probably wouldn't even recognize those, the faces of those that come in. I thank God for Mrs. Ronson that for years, not years, decades, organized our nursery and changed diapers and put up with fussy mothers more than fussy babies and organized all of that and and took care of the furniture and washed how many sheets and curtains and everything else that was done back there in that ministry but was considered simply a role player. And that's what Barak was. Someone out of the spotlight, but working. Now think about his job for just a minute. As a scribe, can you imagine now, he didn't have the help of a computer. There was no spell check. This was all by hand on ancient scrolls. Now, if you don't know anything about scribes, in the laws of the scribes. Let me refresh your memory. Just an error or two on a page meant the page had to be discarded. Just a few repeated errors in the book meant the book had to be discarded. This was extremely tedious work without the help of modern lighting. And there he worked day after day. Most of his work was unnoticed. And when you're a role player, and most of your work will be unnoticed. How many of you recognize the name J. Oswald Chambers? Probably the most sold devotional book in, in history, would be my guess. My utmost for his highest. How many of you have seen the book? If you go to the Christian bookstore, it doesn't matter what bookstore you go to. There are literally dozens of his books. I believe he has over 30 books that have been published. But very few know that he actually never even wrote a book before his death. He died at the age of 43. He started a small institute, Bible college, and then offered to go as a chaplain during World War I and ended up in Cairo, Egypt, and there he died at 43 years of age. But before his death, he had never written books. He had started writing a book. He had one booklet that had been published. But his wife, he had met this lady, Gertrude, and uh, he didn't care for her. Name, he said it was too formal. He changed it to Biddy. So if you look at the front of those books, possibly you might find this listed in the book, B.C., that doesn't stand for before Christ, that stands for Biddy Chambers, whose real name was Gertrude Hope. But she married this man, and basically her life consisted of hosting people because Oswald Chambers was an old holiness preacher that just loved people, and everything he had, he gave it away, and he just hosted and helped people. There in London, he did it with young men training for the ministry, and then in Egypt, he did it with soldiers, bringing them into his home. So really, she didn't have a personal life or a private life, and Mr. Chambers knew that, greatly appreciated it, but she was a skilled speed writer. She could write 250 words a minute. Now, that's basically more than we can speak, And here's what she did. Every time he spoke or taught or preached, she took notes. And upon his death, she began to write that and pass it out and began to become published. And by the time she'd passed away, you have 30 or 35 books. But here's what you don't know or didn't know until this morning. It wasn't Mr. Chambers that wrote those books, but a wife in the background who was doing the work. And so often we see a preacher, a pastor, a principal, or someone standing in front of people who usually gets the credit for the success that's seen, uh, uh, visibly seen by those that come to a church, when in fact it's the army of servants that go unnoticed, the role players. Those that practice and put together the music. If you come to this church any day of the week, here's what you're going to see. People are busy working and helping and teaching and cleaning and practicing and putting all of this together. So on Sunday morning, the face of the ministry is your pastor. When in fact, the work that's been involved has been distributed among hundreds of people. They usually are unnoticed. And let me just say this. Because at points, it may be a frustration if you're a role player that you're not recognized, your work is not appreciated. When he finally gets a moment in the spotlight, just remember what his spotlight moment was. Jeremiah's in prison. He's put before the people there at the temple during the days of fasting to proclaim to them... God is going to judge this nation. We're going to go into captivity. Your women and children are going to be killed. Uh, That was not a word that was going to be well received. And although the people didn't resist the prophet's message, they then sent him to the princesses, and he reads the same words, the same writings, the same book to them, and they sat stunned. They said, we've got to take this to the king. So look what happens in verse 23 when it's brought before the king and read in his presence, verse 23. And it came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with a penknife. Now this is how much he appreciates the work that was done. Remember this. Here's Barak. Unnoticed, unappreciated. So finally he gets his day in the sun. He goes and reads the words... Then he rereads it to the princesses, and now it comes into the hands of the king. Now, here's what the princesses had told Barak. You and Jeremiah better go into hiding because the king is not going to like this. And when he gets his hands on this and he hears the news, most likely he will either throw you into prison or cut your head off. Well, Jeremiah was already shut up. He was already in prison. But Barak knew he had to get out of town and get out of town quickly. Look at how Jehudi responds when he'd read her three or four leaves. He cut it with the penknife. So your greatest work in life is now being cut up. This is how much it is appreciated. He cut it with a penknife, cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. How many of you ever felt like that? You felt like all the work that you'd ever done just always seemed to go unnoticed. I mean, your own mate doesn't notice. Surely the pastor doesn't notice. People don't care. They don't realize all that I sacrifice and all that I invest in the money and the time and the work that's involved to put this together. And the kids, listen, these five-year-olds that I work with certainly don't appreciate it. And their parents don't appreciate it. And the only time the parents see it is when there's a mistake that's made or a kid that's crying or a child that's hurt. And then they see what's taking place. Chaos. That's the only recognition I get. So as Barak finally, this is his moment in the sun. He's finally going to get his recognition. He stands up and reads everything that he was able to write down, penned by God. And the people... Do not repent. And the princesses stand back in shock, and the king pulls out a knife, begins to cut it in pieces, and throw it into the fire. And his labor goes up in smoke. Have you ever felt like that in the work of God? Whatever you were doing, whether it was in the prisons, or the school, or the Sunday school, or the nursing home, or with the teenagers, whatever role God had placed you in, whatever responsibility God had handed you, just seemed to be unappreciated. Now, if we don't understand this is all about God anyways, this must be about God's greatness, not about my name. This is about His great name, not my great name. Because when this happened and Barak was in hiding. He actually expresses his thoughts at the moment. Look what it says in chapter 45. Jeremiah 45. One, the word that Jeremiah the prophet spake in Barak, the son of Neriah when he had written these words in a book at the mouth of Jeremiah. Look at the timing. The fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. This is when his word or his writings come before the king and the king responds by throwing it into the fire. Look what he says in verse 3. Thou didst say, woe is me now, for the Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing. Now, uh, most of us don't want to admit this, much less confess it, but we've all had a what was me now time in our lives where we took a look at all that we had sacrificed and all that we had done and the ways that we had served and How others had responded by not even caring about our sacrifice. And we, whether it was driving in the car or sitting in your house or laying in your pillow at night, you said, whoa, we've all sung this song, and it has about 38 verses. Some of you have written a few additional verses. It troubled moments in your life, moments of distress or despair, and you said, whoa, is me now. You've been there, you've sung that song, and Barak did too. And here's what we have to be careful of because Satan wants to discourage you and here's how he'll do. He'll crawl up on your shoulder and whisper in your ear, whatever you're doing, whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. It's of no value. No one appreciates that. No one sees it. No one even cares. The impact is minimal. Who are you really helping? Barak, 18 years in this ministry with Jeremiah. What was his reward? What had he gained? What had he accomplished? Well, Barak, let me just tell you something. For the next 2,000 years, 2,400 years, people will read and reread and be helped and blessed and preachers will preach out of this book and many, many great things will result. But at the moment, he can't see that. He just sees the fact that he's sacrificed so much and seen so little result. Look what it says. In verse, now now let me ask you this before we read verse 5. How did God respond to that song that's so famous and has been sung by so many Christians? Basically, in a nutshell, if you read verse 4 and 5, God says this, I know. Barak, I know about your situation. I know about your plight. I know about this nation. I know about the judgment that's about ready to fall. And he promised him, thy life will I give unto thee for a prey in all places whither thou goest. I'm going to protect you from what is about ready to take place in this nation. I'll personally offer you promise of protection. But here's what we want. God, you know, it'd be nice occasionally if someone would at least notice what I'm doing. Anybody ever felt that way? It'd be nice at least if someone cared. A simple thank you would make my day. Anything, Lord. Now, look what he says in verse 5. Seekest thou great things for thyself. Now, hold on for a minute. I want you to think about your work and what you're doing for Christ. What you're doing for the work of God. Most of what we do will never be recognized, never be understood, never be appreciated So if you're seeking something great for yourself, forget about it. You're in the wrong business. You might as well go out into the world, get a job, and seek a fortune because when it comes to the work of God, very few get recognition. And those that get recognized, it's the wrong kind of recognition. And so here was the question that God had for Barak. Barak, you're a scribe. You work in private. Most people will never even see the work you do. Definitely, they will not appreciate it. Some will rip it up, cut it up, throw it into the fire. But here's my question, Barak. Whose greatness, whose glory, whose honor are you seeking? Don't seek great things for yourself. What a tragedy, what a mistake that because of our fleshly nature, we want some kind of recognition. We want a pat on the back. At least a little praise. What if you preach in that prison or that nursing home or teach that class or work in the Sunday school or clean the church for 20 years and no one notices? Let me ask you this. If they hated Jeremiah for preaching the truth, do you think there was any love here expressed by anyone in this nation for Barak the scribe? For writing this book, folks, there wasn't a single soul in this nation that loved this man for the job he had done. Not a soul, but here was God's question. Whose honor are you seeking? Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Now, although his work was unnoticed, he embraced it. Although it was unappreciated, he embraced it. He accepted his role. That's what I want to emphasize this morning. Whatever your role is in life, whatever God has for you, embrace it. Accept it. Here's what we want. I want something greater. I want something bigger. I want something with a greater impact, more visible, more noticeable, more appreciated. God says... Why don't you just accept the role that I've given you? I've given you a talent. It's called writing. Now go use it. And don't just accept it. Excel. Now, many will come to the point in life where they'll accept their role, but excelling over time, not a day or a week. When I talk about time, I'm not even talking about years. I'm talking about decades. Excelling in that role long term What is difficult? Under distress, under great pressure, Barak excelled in his role. Now, here's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to become discontent where you're at. And here's discontentment. It's simply saying, I want something greater. Greater than what God has for you? How can there be something greater than that? Whatever God has for you is exactly what you need to do, and that's where you exactly need to excel. I only watched a few minutes of the Super Bowl, but we were all expecting the quarterbacks or the running backs to shine. And to our great surprise, a linebacker, an unheard-of linebacker, a role player named Marvin Smith, a guy who is better known as Steve Smith's brother. How many of you have ever been referred to that way? This is Jerry Lewis's son. This is Hank Thompson's oldest child. This is so-and-so's brother. That's the way Marvin was known. He didn't even get the opportunity to have a good name in life. Marvin, who wants to go through life with a name like that? Hey, Marv. Hey, Marvy. High school must have been brutal. But whatever the case... He's a linebacker. He's not one of the names, premier names on that defense, but he went out there, did his job, did his job so well, he ended up being named the MVP, which stands for the most valuable player of that game. Your pastor, there are 52 weeks in the year. Not one week out of the year could he be named the most valuable player in this organization, this church, this team. We have great soul winners, we have great leaders, we have great teachers, we have great helpers. On so many levels, but because you've believed a lie and listened to the devil, you consider yourself unimportant. Can you imagine if everyone had that same moment at the same time? And the pianist didn't show up because they didn't feel important. The singer didn't show up because they didn't feel that important. The greeters didn't show up because they didn't feel that important. And the cleaners didn't show up because they didn't feel that important. And the Sunday school teacher didn't show up because they didn't feel that important. Boy, this would be a lonely Sunday, me and you. Wouldn't that be a lonely Sunday? Wouldn't we both look awkward? Thank God for those that have gotten involved. Now, go with me to Matthew chapter 20. We're talking about what God has for you, and Satan will get you focused on how insignificant your job seems to be and the fact that it involves personal sacrifice, and very little earthly reward. He'll get you discouraged over all of that. But really, this is what leadership, responsibility, and roles are all about. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. They that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. Now you say, preacher, what are you talking about here? Let's switch gears for a minute. Because there's a dissatisfaction in our minds over the roles that God has for us. And there's a temptation to say the part that I play and the responsibility that I have is very minimal. It doesn't mean much. Really, there's very little impact. But what we need to realize is all of God's work is about being a servant. Yeah. It's all about serving a people. It's all about being used. The irony of someone walking the aisle and kneeling at the altar and surrendering their life to God and saying, God, I want to be used. And then God says, really? because the same person that says i want to be used 6 months down the road from now their complaint will be everyone is using me i thought you wanted to be used <laughs> did you know ministry is being used matter of fact he highlights example the lord jesus christ verse 28 we're talking about god in the flesh the king of kings the lord of lords even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He says our prime example is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came in Philippians chapter 2 and was found in the fashion of man, and he humbled himself and did what? Took upon him the form of a servant. Now, here's what Christ said in his teaching. This world is confused about leadership and thinks it is lordship. Leadership is not lordship, but servitude. He says, the world's messed up. He said, verse 25, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion. That's lordship. They've confused leadership with lordship, and they think, now that I'm the greatest, now that I hold a title and a position, this means men get to serve me. So what do we have in society? Why is government so messed up? Because once someone takes on the title of a politician or gains a position of authority, he thinks you all are here to serve me. No, you just became a public what? Servant. Servant. Amen. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think the men in positions of elected office are there to serve you? Yes. How many of you have come to the realization they are there to serve themselves? Yes. They are there for you to serve them. Now, this is not a problem new to our times. This is something Christ highlighted 2,000 years ago and says the princes of the Gentiles, they exercise dominion over them. They that are great exercise authority upon them. But he says, You're not a Gentile, you're not an unsaved man. You are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and here's how you should live. You should understand that leadership is not lordship, but servitude. Look what he says. Verse 26, it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Now, here's where we get confused. We think that greatness comes through serving. No. That's not what the Bible is saying. You're taking that out of context. You're not great because you serve. When you have a position, you have a title, whether that be father or pastor or leader, that means now your obligation is to serve. Boy, he's such a born leader. No, he's a born servant. God says your responsibility to lead. You know when homes become chaotic, when dad stands up, bangs on his chest like Tarzan and said, I'm the man of this home, you will listen to me. That's not leadership. Leadership serves and everyone follows that kind of leadership. I've been given a position as your pastor. You know what that means? I'm your designated pastor servant you know what my job is whether it's mopping the floors or cleaning the building or studying for a class or preaching a message i am the designated servant of this church and until you as a leader realize that listen here's leadership God says, I'm going to see how you can serve two, and if you serve them well, I'll let you serve four. And if you serve four well, I'll let you serve eight. And if you serve eight well, I'll let you serve 16. You serve 16, I'll let you serve 32. This is why young people are stunned when they go into the ministry. They expect a title, a position, and respect, and instead they get work. When Miss Gamus was given a class, she wasn't given 22 little servants. She became the servant to 22 three-year-olds. You know who serves them? She does because she's the greatest. Leadership means she had to make herself their servant. So when we talk about roles, our gripe is I am just a servant. I'm everyone's servant. Yes, that's leadership. And you know why you can't advance? You can't embrace that. Because no matter what position of leadership you're given, whether that's in a jail, when you walk to that jail, you become the servants of prisoners. That's humbling. Well, I don't like their comments. I don't like their reaction. I think they ought to be more supportive. I don't understand what's going on. You don't understand a Bible principle. The Bible principle is... He that is the greatest isn't great because he's a servant. He that is given a title or position, he that is the greatest must understand his duty, his obligation, his responsibility is becoming the servant. I hold the greatest title or position of authority in this church. That means my obligation is to be the greatest servant. Not to demand service but to offer service. And here's what Barak found out. When he was put in a position of authority, when his authority increased, his responsibility increased, this meant being a greater servant. You know what you ought to do? Do a little study in your Bible. Leaders, and the word leader, not mentioned. Servant is mentioned. God never referred to Joshua, that great captain, that great general, that great leader as a leader. He referred to him as a servant. Moses, the greatest leader of all time. Men write books, books on leadership, and they use Moses as an example. God didn't call him a leader. God calls him a servant. What about Paul? What about Jeremiah? What about Isaiah? What about Jacob? What about these great men throughout the Bible that we consider icons and great leaders? God doesn't refer to them that way. God says they were servants. Are you with me this morning? So no matter what your role is in life, in order to become satisfied and truly content in that position, in order to embrace it and then excel where God has placed you, you must understand this. Our responsibility in leadership position, whether that is the father of your home, the husband, whether that's at work or in a church setting, whether that's in Sunday school, junior church, with the youth, wherever it is that God has placed you and made you the leader, you must understand, mothers, you know this better than anyone. You are in charge of that home. You are the greatest in your home. Well, guess who serves? Who washes the clothes and cooks the meals and washes the dishes and cleans the house? The greatest. Certainly not the least. Oh, if they have to take out the garbage or make their bed. This house is communistic. My mom is the great Hitler. I got to actually wash my own clothes and make my own bed and pick up my own dirty plates. Who do you think that I am? That's why you are the least, and that's why you'll stay the least until your attitude changes. Because what will change your role and elevate your position is the attitude of a servant where you say, I just want to serve. And God says, let me give you someone else to serve. And the difference in how far you go is a difference in mentality. Because those that continue to move forward in responsibility in the blessing of God are those that embrace being a servant. God says, if you can't embrace that, I can't give you more people to serve. Now, how often have I seen people after given the experience of serving, they change their tune, they change their mind. They say, no, I don't want to serve any more than the three I have. And God says, Okay. You're only limiting yourself. And Barak the role player. Describe. The man whose greatest work was thrown into the fire. One day woke up, sang this song. Made this complaint. What's up with this Lord? And the Lord said, why seekest thou great things for thyself? I've made you a servant. And here's a real leader. Real leaders prefer the opportunity to serve over the opportunity to exercise authority. You ready for a secret? The thing I hate most in pastoring is having to be the boss. I prefer to serve you, I prefer to serve the meal, I prefer to clean the building, I prefer to do the work of this church over having to step up and step into someone else's life and be a boss and if you're a father if you're a true leader you'd much rather serve than exercise authority if you're a husband in a real spiritual leader you would much rather serve that woman than boss that woman if you're spirit filled and Christ like Being a leader is not about being the boss. What did Christ say? He that is greatest is your minister. He's your servant. His position is to say, I'm going to serve you. And if you've never gotten to that point in your life and in your mindset, you're going to be a discontent no matter where God puts you. You're going to run around looking for the limelight, looking for a pat on the back, a few more accolades. Be angry and frustrated with whatever role. And here's what the world preaches discontentment. You'll be discontent with your role as a wife, as a teen, as a child, as a church member, or discontent in your leadership. Because when you misunderstand your role and you put down the long arm of the law, And I'm the boss, and everyone better understand I'm the boss. No one's going to like you, and no one is going to follow you. So, your frustration will only increase as you try to trumpet the fact that you are the big cheese. And everyone else says, Don't feed us any more cheese. (laughs) We're tired. We're grieved. We don't want any more. Let me ask you this this morning. Is your philosophy a biblical philosophy? Can you say in your heart, I'm not discontent with the role that God's given me. I've embraced it. I'm excelling in my role. And if God has me right here, I'm totally satisfied with what God has for my life. Are you walking around saying, I want a bigger area of authority. I want more responsibility. I want more accolades god says here's the problem i have to trust you as a servant we certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today but more importantly we hope that the lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your christian life For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.